In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. You're listening to the Verhoeven Effect Podcast. I'm Colin. I'm Nathan. And we have a very special episode. We have 2011's Drive, which is not really a like a unheralded movie or a movie that needs to like uh like special interpretation, but uh I this has a very specific uh place in my heart and for, uh, and stuff like that, because this is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I've only ever seen it once. I only saw it in the theaters. Uh, and to me, in my mind, it was like the perfect movie, and so I never watched it again because it was a perfect. Movie. Just remember this moment, you know. Uh, but I've listened to the soundtrack like a hundred times, so yeah. It, uh, you know, I don't even listen to CDs anymore. But the 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 like six CDs in my in my uh, CD changer, one of them is the soundtrack to Drive. <laughs> so it introduced us to Kavinsky and yeah, some of the other stuff. So yeah, I just thought that was. I, I was one time I tried to word this on Reddit, like an Ask Reddit, because it, it seems to be like the stupidest things. Like, what's the worst movie of all time? And it gets like a thousand or millions of of hits and stuff like that. And it's like the most boring question ever. So I tried to form it in a specific thing. It was like, what's a movie you only watch once because it would like ruin it if you ever watched it again. It was too perfect. And then of course I couldn't fit that correctly in a one sentence and question. Yeah. <laughs> ask reddit loves to like no it needs to be the in a phrase of a question i was like well that's a question mark at the end and it's asking a question yeah so we just get to do it here nathan do you have a movie you've never watched again because you you didn't want to ruin it in your mind i really can't think of one that i did that with um that was weirdly enough another movie with ryan gosling i've only seen blade runner 2049 in theaters yeah. And I really liked it, but it's like I don't need to revisit it. It's like I know what it is. It's but but interesting. I've watched Dune six times, and I've watched Prisoners and a bunch of other movies that guy did a lot. But I've yeah. only watched Blade Runner in the theaters with that. that really, was... uh, that's that's the only movie I've ever seen in theaters twice. Oh, okay. Because uh, I went and saw it like an early screening, um, and then I was at Drill, and I uh, I like I went out with a couple of buddies to go see it at the IMAX theater nearby. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. So like, yeah, I'll see this in IMAX. Yeah. That's um, how I saw it too. It was an IMAX. Such a great movie. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, but I also say like, I haven't seen it since then. I haven't actually watched it on like DVD or anything like that. Um, nor, and also like, I really love the arrival and I haven't watched that again, although I meant to. Although it does have kind of a convoluted ending that I just kind of like conveniently forget about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of those movies. It's like, oh, this is really cool to a point, And then the ending kind of, ah, eh, okay, I get it. I know it had to, I understand how it fits in with the rest of the story, but I don't like it. <laughs> it's, just, it's a weird downer. It's like, okay, I get it. But I also see, so this movie, I like watch the soundtrack or listen to the soundtrack a bunch, but also I probably watch the trailer like 50 times. Like, this looks cool. I want to see this. 
Uh, and then I like them cheaters. Uh, Nathan, do you have a history with Dry? <laughs> I watched it because uh, you recommended it to me uh, once, and I, I liked it. I like these like craft films. Because to me, Drive is an art house film that works. That's that's how yeah. I put it in my mind. Is like, there's a lot of like quiet passages. This is not an action movie. No, if you watch the trailer, movie, there's they, a lot of silence. You have to bring this. You have to bring the narrative to the movie because it's not bringing it to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of you have this blank slate character, um, who's I don't know. I still have never been able to figure that guy out. <laughs> where he's supposed to be as a character like is he a sociopath that wants to be normal or is he someone who had a very violent past and like this is the only world that makes sense to him but he wants to be normal i never could uh rectify it but i do like the movie it takes me back to like um the way they do the soundtrack in la at night reminds me a lot of thief a lot of yeah. those kind of long scenes of people doing things and you know los angeles looks like a cool place in this movie yeah. um in the day or the night you know <laughs> But yeah, I watched it once on your recommendation and then once for this show. Um, <laughs> ah, so we both saw it twice. <laughs> yeah, we've both seen it twice. I've tried to watch other movies that this guy did. I haven't seen any of the Pusher movies, the trilogy from uh, oh, ori the, uh, his original from stuff, but I tried to watch The Neon Demon and hated it. I was like, well, this is just gross. I'm not into this. Yeah. Whatever this yeah, is, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, De Neon Demon is a movie I'd say is like, this is a well-made movie. I absolutely do not like this movie. <laughs> I turned it off. It was one of those I paid for halfway through. It's like, I don't know. There was something that happened. I'm not going to go into it on the podcast, but there was a lot of disturbing things that happened in it, which I expected. But then it just kind of crossed this line of like, okay, I'm this is icky. I'm just checking out. <laughs> People shooting no each other and stuff. I'm like fine with that, but... Like just real well, horrific violence against women and and then really gross sex like implied stuff almost becomes yeah. uh David Cronenberg-ish shit points. It's like, well, this is gross. <laughs> yeah, um, and because it like it logically doesn't make any sense. It's like, how is this a means to an end? And it's just because, you know, this guy kind of makes dream like movies yeah. anyway. So um it's kind of like the opposite end of David Lynch. Yeah, it seems like this is unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, I don't need this. Um, and this movie was actually based on a book. So yeah, uh, I read the book. So okay, it's a very short book. I mean, it's pretty much just like a, it's pretty much just a pulp novel. It's fine. There's yeah. some stuff in the book that's interesting that isn't brought up here, but they do jettison a lot of the book because, like you know, there you get like internal monologue and stuff like that, and it seems like here they just stripped almost everything out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, came out. No, no, that's the wrong thing. It's still September. Drive came out September sixteenth, twenty eleven. Uh, directed by Nicholas Winding. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah. You're like I first saw his Bronson movie, which is a very weird movie that kind of made Tom Hardy a star. Because <laughs> before that, Tom Hardy was like uh picard's literal literal nemesis in star trek nemesis <laughs> as his like double or whatever or clone and then he did bronson and he was like doing like these insane workouts we had prison workouts we had to do like a thousand push-ups a day <laughs> wow and then he got huge because he used to be like a really skinny guy and then he got huge and then like he was suddenly doing like inception and dark knight rises and all these action movies and stuff like that so so that kind of came out of Bronson. And Bronson's like, it's not just about him being beefy and stuff. That's a very weird character piece of this 
guy who makes like art in prison is just a violent person who can't exist on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's basically some kind of he's a guy who can't enjoy success. Everything <laughs> has to be tinged with violence and you don't know if it's like is that his personality? Is that mental illness? Is that what prison does to people? It's kind of an interesting commentary. That that's a movie I could, you know, take it or leave it also. It's like, yeah, this was sort of cool. <laughs> Tom Hardy was cool in it. I don't know if I got the whole because it almost becomes clockwork orangish kind of in a weird way, like the strange prisons prison he's dealing with and all that. It's like, oh yeah, well yeah, the part where he's like he has like one of the prison guards hostage and he's just using him as like a as a canvas to paint some art piece. Yeah, as they're like crying, it's like, is this guy man gonna kill me? He's like, nah, you're just it's just you're just his canvas. It's okay. <laughs> Cinematographer's Newton Thomas Siegel, maybe or Sigel, maybe I don't know. I'm getting an error, so Uh-oh, <laughs> Oops, error. I guess I guess I don't know what this guy did for his career. Uh, I think he worked with uh, with Nicholas Winding Refn a bunch of times. So well, he's a he's a, he's he's worked on a lot of Brian Singer movies. Oh, The Usual oh, Suspects, oh. Valkyrie, X Men franchise. I mean, <laughs> not that there's any. Yeah, I don't know anything about him, but yeah, he's from Detroit. So <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, it's probably like. Sigil or Sigil? Seagull. Seagull, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse, the sequel to Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon. <laughs> yeah, there's like a lot of good and a lot of <laughs> questionable in here. So Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is a really cool looking movie for what it is. Um, it's what I call it. Seen... It's one of those gray-blue movies. <laughs> but then someone said the director's kind of colorblind. So yeah. he kind of shoots all his movies kind of have that gray aspect to him because yeah. he does, he sees darker colors, but he says he only sees like what he calls the colors in the middle of the colors, which I don't know what that means, but I've never been colorblind. So, um, I know there's like that. Cause I think, I think dad's like red, green colorblind. Okay. But then like stuff like purple, like doesn't purple have, what is, what is purple? Is that red and blue combined? I would think so. Yeah. So then, like, the red in purple doesn't show up to him. So it's just kind of like a different splotch of, you know, gray or whatever. <laughs> so it's not just red. It's other colors that contain red that also look weird. Yeah. Uh, written by Hossein Amini, did the adaptation, uh, which uh, he kind of has middling things. And then he uh, he created some show called McMafia. Never heard of it. He wrote some on the he wrote like three episodes on the alienists and then he wrote like half the episodes for the obi-wan kenobi show <laughs> so. okay well the alienist was kind of cool yeah uh uh based on the book uh, by james solace which is again it's a totally fine book it's just like kind of like a pulp novel i don't know like where this got grabbed from or like really like oh this has to be turned into a movie it's just like somebody had the rights and the movie got accidentally made or something like that uh, and then, of course, cast, Brian Gosling, of course, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston. That's just the top, like, but we'll get into who else is in this movie because it's like almost every part in this movie is like, hey, that guy. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah, some of the people that were in this movie, I forgot were in it. <laughs> you know, some people about to be huge stars, and here they're just kind of like lowly characters. And then you see you know, old favorites, like, you know, Ron Perlman, what won't he be in? <laughs> All right, so yeah, Act One, we got like just pink cursive credits, which yeah. is you know that's a choice. <laughs> uh, I mean, that also has like a great poster. It's just got like 
pink drive written in pink in that cursive and then just ryan cosling in his like white scorpion jacket holding a hammer like walking towards it you know just as drive so we got chromatics tick of the clock playing uh which is an interesting song because the chromatics like like this is just a pure like like instrumental track there's no vocals to it but like a lot of their stuff is like you know it has like kind of like haunting female vocals to like all their stuff because that's who their singer is so it's weird to see them here and like the song gets picked out as just a instrumental track because <laughs> um, i'm a, i remember them from like the uh revival of twin peaks they're like one of the musical acts okay yeah <laughs> the end in music yeah yeah that just starts you know just starts playing and they roll credits but it's like everyone <laughs> yeah. always ends up at the clubs for some reason yeah <laughs> So here we have Driver, who's Ryan Gosling, who's just known as Driver. That's what he's called in the book. That's what he's called here. Here, well, here they call him Driver, or they call him the Kid and stuff like that. But I'll just be referring to him as Driver. Not as pretentious also. as cool and cool as the protagonist, but <laughs> interesting name. Yeah, you know, dehumanizes him. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I, well, maybe I'll, I guess I'll say this now. Like I have a. I'm probably somebody's else is written on this, but anyways, my 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 full Verhoeven effect for this movie is this movie is about the death of the American dream. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't know if you have anything like that for this movie or not. I have it more of as, as an individualized death of this kind of lost dark man's hopes for a normal life, <laughs> torn asunder by the greed of the mob or you know corporate America. If you want to write it yeah. deeper than that, but he seems like a guy who was lost not completely evil but looking for something better and then at some point he's just like nah, i'm just gonna start killing people <laughs> um not out of like for any pleasure but just because it's like i, I can't have this stuff that i see around me because he is a great observer of the world and all the observations he makes in this movie are from his point of view so yeah. there's no like close-ups of you know him or someone else walking and he's like looking from far away no it's always from his point of view yeah, because my thing with this movie is like, here's this guy who is an immigrant to this land, even though he's an American, he's an immigrant to L.A. Everyone's an immigrant to L.A., yeah. Yeah, and that's actually a thing in the book. Everyone is just an immigrant in the book. <laughs> that's also a uh, thing in uh, Collateral, the Tom Cruise's yeah. speech. It's like it's a city full of strangers, 25 million people that don't know each other and won't, don't care to either. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's kind of my impression of it. And you have here this here's this guy who, you know, he's a millennial. And he he is not necessarily here. He's not overeducated, but he doesn't have a lot of things. He's extremely talented, and his hard work is exploited, and he will never rise above his position because that's what they need him to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's never. So that's why it's the you know the death of the American dream. It's like here's a guy who's like obviously extremely talented. He is in high demand. And he has no money or possessions and no life. Yeah, <laughs> it's like how is that possible? It's because all the all the old guys with the money are stealing the money from him. Yeah, that could uh, be. <laughs> that's that's one way of looking at it. I just always thought he was so flawed as a person because he doesn't relate to anyone in any no. meaningful sense. And I don't know, but we don't know anything about his past. He's just a blank slate. Yeah. It's like he's obviously someone who's in some ways used to and comfortable with violence. He knows how it works. It doesn't surprise or shock him. 
He has no emotional reaction to anything, really, except to, you know, become very angry. Um, well, weird thing about the book compared to this is, like, there's actually, like, more Hollywood stuff in the book than, than it's in the movie. Okay. Because in the book, it's like he, you know, the Shannon character, Brian Cranston, you know, it's kind of seeming like he's on the, on, you know, he's, like, half mobbed up. And then, like, he exploits Driver um, to try to, like get success even but you know he's just an unlucky guy but in the book he just has an agent and he kind of just does these crime jobs on the side it's never explained why it's not like he has a need for this it's just like it's just something else to do i guess he's just bored really yeah um where it's here it's like because in the book it in the book it implies that like he's got money he just doesn't spend it he just saves it where here it doesn't there's no implication that he has money he's just broke He lives out of a duffel bag. He lives in a bad neighborhood. <laughs> He's got his car and his duffel bag of all his life, of all his life's possessions. Yeah, that could be part um, of it. Uh, and also in the book, they don't do anything here. But in the book, there's stuff with his mom and like how he was put into foster care because she couldn't take care of him anymore. Um, where here they they completely uh, get rid of that. Yeah. Uh, so here, yeah. So we have the chromatic stick of the clock, clock playing. We have. Uh, driver he's explaining his rules for like being a heist driver he's like i don't carry a gun i don't do the job like in a window of five minutes like you get in or out like i'm yours <laughs> so like so he just drives he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't hold up a place it doesn't do anything he's just a getaway driver yeah so it's an la night uh, there's an nba game that's being played at the staple center uh driver goes to brian cranston his, his character shannon who like owns a shop and also like wants to be like like a own a race car team or stuff, but we'll learn that later. But he picks up like a nondescript heist car, which is basically a Chevy Impala, which is like says so the most common car in LA at least at that time. Yeah, is <laughs> a silver Chevy Impala. Um, they sold a lot of them. <laughs> uh, there's you hear the on the radio you hear the game at the Staples Center. Uh, driver picks up a couple of guys and then like. Actually, he doesn't pick him up. He just, like, pulls to the street. The guys are, like, across the street. And then they go rob the place. And then they're supposed to come back to the car. <laughs> and uh, they break into some place. He puts a wristwatch on the steering wheel, which that's the five minutes they have to rob the place. And if they're not back in five minutes, he's he's gone. Although they, ne- they never pull on that threat. You never see him just, like, take off, like, while the guys are, like, running. Like, no. <laughs> but that's implied. You know, he's just, you know, he's a super fit. You know, he's he's got, yeah, he's got, like, a, like, a, just a little wristwatch that um we don't you know that that wristwatch could be something or i don't know you can plan what you want there because uh, in the book there's something about like his father's straight razor is like his one possession he has of his father but i don't know he just has a watch that and it's just like an analog watch with like a you know like the three little dials on it and one of them's a timer yeah i've never used any of those watches before but i have a couple they're pretty cool like not the ones with like the multiple dials, where it basically makes the the watch look like a tachometer. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a Tissot like that. <laughs> um, I just like the movement of the watch and the little dials. Yeah, because yeah. Tissot is who makes the movement for Rolex. So if you can't afford a Rolex, which I can't, uh, you buy a Tissot. Um, and then because I have a bunch of different watches, but then the Apple Watch kind of subsumed all of those because it's yeah. like way more useful. <laughs> it's like oh, these are cool, but uh, uh, driver puts on a police scanner and then also turns up the the NBA game volume. 
Uh, driver opens up the back door as one of the robbers comes out, and then like they wait for the last guy. Uh, then the, the last guy finally comes in after like being like slightly delayed, and then they take off. He immediately like hears a description of his car like on the police scanner. It's like, oh, that was quick. <laughs> so then he like parks the car and turns the lights off, and then, like to like sneak around a cop car. <laughs> yeah, he like parks behind a semi that's on the street or something. Yeah, and then he ends up like behind the cop car for like a bit. And then, like, they, they go on a bridge and they get spotted by, like, the the helicopter, the, uh, the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and so as soon as he gets spotted and hears it on the radio, he just, like, hits the gas. And then he's, like, able to park the car under an overpass and then, like, a helicopter gets sent off to go chase another call and then goes away. What's great about this scene is, like, none of the guys are talking. Nope. It's completely quiet. Yeah, they're just like in all of him. He's not making it. He's just kind of like biting on this toothpick. And you see him kind of like, I don't know, this is like Ryan Gosling is great is because like he says nothing and you imply everything about it. You can you see him thinking and like I, and I don't know like the magic that what magic's going on here because you can imagine it's like, well, everything they're doing here is cool and cheap. And it's like, why can't a cheap production just make this? And it's like purely probably the act the quality of the acting yeah and like the the and the directing and like the composition of stuff because it seems like this is a very cheap and effective chase scene but like you, you can't just hand this to like anybody and they'll be able to make this somehow there's just magic at work here that is so efficient <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it's just good camera work there's no explosions there's no real action other than driving a car fast which yeah we can all identify with and you know and i assume this car he's driving probably has the tires and stuff because there's little things that happen like when the police car starts chasing him in a later scene he just out turns it yeah, yeah. It, like it has to well, yeah. stop and go in reverse because it couldn't make the turn it's like <laughs> oh because this guy either knows exactly what he's doing or the car has very good tires and was yeah, worked like it, on yeah in, in the book they like go into more detail but like he specifically gets like nondescript cars like this and then yeah they they juice up the engine they put better tires on but like for all intents and purposes like from the outside it just looks like a normal car everyday car but it does have like some get up and go to it that you wouldn't expect out of it but I'll, but like the great thing is like so the guys in the back like they're scared for their lives but they aren't saying anything they're like normally this would be time for like all right we this is where the dialogue would explain things like yo they'd be yelling at the drivers like we gotta get out of here it's like it's like what the f are you doing <laughs> like go 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 but like no none of that is here it's no. great <laughs> for it for it not being there they hired him just... for a purpose and he's doing his job we're just gonna sit <laughs> in the back with our ski masks and bagfuls of money being obvious and uh <laughs> so yeah it, all you get is just the sports radio and the police scanner it's like in like the camera basically doesn't leave the car it's all like his point of view uh, from the and for, uh, point of view from the car too uh they end up at a stoplight across from another cop car and then like they, they hear like a call come in and so he guns it and he gets into the staple center parking lot and he parks he parks the car just as the game is ending so then there's just a wave of people coming out and then he gets out of the car like reverses his jacket and kind of hangs it over his shoulder and just casually strolls away he puts a ball cap on too that would show he was a oh, fan yeah. of the team <laughs> la yeah which I'm, I'm not sure if it says who's playing because uh, maybe the nba wouldn't let him but i think it was supposed to be like a lakers clippers game so okay. it was just like la would work either way because they're both in a los angeles team <laughs> 
yeah he just yeah strolls past the cops uh you know that's it and then we get we get more credits again here it's like you know like ryan gosling and stuff like that you get shots of the kid shots of the city uh which you know la looks cool at night with all its lights and everything and then we get the i'm not sure if it's infamous but you know the great kavinsky's night call is playing yep. <laughs> and this is the uh, my introduction to retro new wave <laughs> yeah french new wave or for french retro <laughs> synth music or whatever it is yeah uh and we got a bunch of mix of shots of like the city but we have driver he's driving around in his 1973 chevy malibu actually according um, to ryan gosling it's a 72 because he built it for the movie and and then he kept it he like actually still drives the car <laughs> yeah yeah uh, um which is interesting yeah, apparently, yeah, apparently he restored it himself, uh, which is fun because I'm not sure. I mean, he's no, he did a lot of like he's kind of more known for this time for like the kind of like romantic roles he was doing. Yeah, so this I'm is the sure. guy from the Notebook at this time. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, I want to see him in his movie, and it's like yeah, I don't think this is gonna be the one you want to see him in, sweetheart. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, like I like I don't know how big it was at this time because it isn't really necessarily like a. This is like they said said it like this movie like cost fifteen million dollars, which if you kind of look at it from the other view, like okay that makes sense, but like the cast is seems like a lot bigger than like what the movie actually is. But yeah, apparently apparently Hugh Jackman was slated for the star role, and like I don't know how this movie would work with Hugh Jackman. It wouldn't be as cool. I mean, because well, I mean also like the way Hugh the Jackman likes is, to act a certain way, and he's you expect yeah. a certain thing from hugh jackman where it's like yeah ryan gosling this is him acting it's just like staring into the middle distance yeah <laughs> that's his thing yeah because like it's like really like the insistence of his character to strip away almost all of his dialogue is what makes this movie like work <laughs> which i don't think hugh jackman would do like i think he would just end up being like another swordfish or something like that yeah <laughs> So yeah, he lives in like this crappy apartment. Although like in daylight, like it looks like a fine apartment. <laughs> like, like yeah, what's this thing cost? Like three grand? Like how's this Denny waitress paying for this place? But uh, there's a lot. There's a lot. Of, LA's big, and there's a lot of really bad places that are probably cheap to live yeah. there. As equally as there are like, you know, million dollar homes that are, they're you know one floor you gotta remember the average income apartment. in the u.s is like somewhere around fifty thousand dollars so <laughs> but yeah in the book it explains that he's doing this on purpose he just likes to he lives out of a duffel bag and he lives in just nondescript kind of like places that are uh, like seem to be seedy but like he does that on purpose just because it's like kind of entertaining for him yeah it's like stuff happens here like he could just live out in the suburbs and have nothing happen but he wants to be close to the action for some reason <laughs> or just be in earshot of it because there's also a lot of him just like avoiding things yeah uh, you know well they said when they shot this movie they went for a lot of um drab looking buildings yeah. And a lot of like the stucco buildings that kind of dominated LA in the eighties and nineties where, cause they didn't shoot like a lot of the new stuff except from, for like the aerial shots. Yeah. So it doesn't look like a nice, this is, this reminds me more of like 48 hours <laughs> than, <laughs> than like, uh, which that was set in uh, San Francisco, but Sense, yeah. yeah, which is funny to think about the CD side of San Francisco. What's like, what's that where the houses only cost $10 million? <laughs> 
Uh, driver meets I- Irene in the elevator, or they just kind of cross paths. You see, you see him cut cross paths once before. Then we see Driver's dressed up as a cop, and he's on set. He's a stunt driver. Uh, Shannon, played by Brian Cranston, is his handler, and apparently gets half of Driver's money because yeah. he said, "Yeah, I got you this new stunt, but remember, I get half of it." So you know, this sets up where it's like, okay, he does all the work, he takes all the risk, and he only gets half the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's jokingly implied by shannon later that they have been in a parasitic relationship for a long time yeah uh but it's like oh i think you really are but you know he, he, <laughs> he writes it off as a joke like yeah you know driver puts on this weird like rubber mask that's like it's it's like a double for the main actor or something like that yeah who is that supposed to be was there anyone i don't know he kind of looks like the guy from uh oh the guy that was in that movie we talked about not too long ago southland tales Oh, the Rock? No, the other Ian guy, Johnson? the guy with the twin with the it's his twin self that they. Oh, t- Sean William Scott. Yeah, it kind of looks like a bald Sean oh. William Scott, but I don't know. I, no, I, don't, I guess I don't think it was meant to be anyone because then they'd have to probably pay likeness rights. But it was a weird uh, looking mask. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I thought it was supposed to be. I thought like the person was supposed to be bald or something. Because I was going for like, is it supposed to be Vin Diesel? But like, I don't think Vin Diesel's working a cop show, so I don't know. Like, because I don't think it's a movie. It seems like it's supposed to be a show. So, I don't know. Um, again, it's not really important here. It just shows that he, you know, we have a setup for a stunt, you know, and it's like he rolls the car over. He's okay. And it's like, that's Hollywood. Yep. <laughs> but it's basically like, that's what, that's the Hollywood they could afford, which is, <laughs> which, you know, he doesn't even like do a stunt. He kind of like, there's an air ram under the car. He just kind of rolls it one way and it flips the car. So he's not even like driving it expertly. <laughs> um, that's funny. Yeah, but again, this is a, uh, it's kind of a deceptive, as a deceptive action movie. Cause it absolutely isn't like he, this movie even got sued by someone because, they thought it was going to be an action movie. And there's like <laughs> literally like three action scenes in this movie. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then, uh, then we see Driver going to the grocery store. He sees Irene and the and her kid there, and he he avoids her, but then he like kind of stays with an earshot and like listens to them talking. Oh yeah, there's I don't know. There's also a thing. I, there's probably a theory about there. I haven't looked it up, but like, uh, do you think Driver has like some sort of autism, or do you think he's just avoiding people intentionally because of his past life or whatever? <laughs> no, his behavior doesn't indicate autism. It indicates an attention to detail, uh, yeah. because detail, order, and plans represent a kind of control that he feels safe with. But I don't think he trusts anyone because of you yeah. know whatever, whatever happened to him. But, well, there's times when people like try to warm up to him and like are talking to him, and he doesn't seem to read social cues. That like, oh, you need to join in this conversation. He, very, he gives very strict, like straightforward answers with no embellishment. Yeah, he probably <laughs> he does, has some doesn't way. Doesn't really of, understand. Doesn't understand sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's other people that have those things too. They're called sociopaths uh, <laughs> that really just like I don't understand human feelings. You know, so. You never know with this guy. It could be a yeah. little less innocent than what you think. Uh, because most autistic people, as I recall, are not like incredibly violent at the flick of a switch. Uh, they yeah. could be. I mean, anyone can be if you put their back well, to the not, wall. Like, I don't but... think he's fully autistic, but, or, you know, for Asperger's or whatever. But there does seem, but yeah, I don't know if that's like a, you know, some kind of mental defect that he can't read emotions or if that's just a, you know, 
trauma past trauma that's like yeah emotions are <laughs> emotions lead to bad things and so i won't have them <laughs> yeah i, I kind of write him down as a guy with a dark past yeah who has no reason to trust people and the people he does trust are screwing him and he kind of knows yeah. it but it's like yeah. well <laughs> these are the friends you have so <laughs> um he's, he's gonna leave the store but then he she, she he sees that she, irene's having car trouble and so he, he gives them a ride and takes the groceries inside and driver gives the kid a toothpick and then irene and driver talk a bit which is mostly her saying something and he kind of just smiles at her for like an awkward two minutes uh are you a serial like, killer we... <laughs> yeah when you look like ryan gosling you can get away with not saying yeah. anything <laughs> yeah, i can't do a ryan gosling very well but i can stare into the middle of distance when people talk to me I've explained uh, to my boss at work many times, like, hey, I've been watching those videos on YouTube about how to act around other people, so I'm trying here. <laughs> Got to give me a break. You see, the kid's dad is, like, in prison. Benicio's the kid. Uh, the I'm not sure if, like, they're – I mean, I think she has her wedding ring or she has some ring on her finger. I'm not sure if they're still married or not or if it's just kind of like a – you know, because that's the whole thing here where it's like – Seems like she wants to get away from him, but <laughs> uh, she can't. Um, yeah, I like this guy that doesn't talk and just kind of stares at me. This, this <laughs> seems preferable to someone in prison. Uh, he says he's a stunt driver for movies, but he just says it's part-time. And he works in a garage at Reseda. Uh And there was something where earlier where, like, Shannon says something like, like, have you got any sleep? You look like Because he basically, he's not sleeping because... He's working a day job as a mechanic and he's doing like runs at night and he's also and he's also being a stunt driver so he is no free time but apparently is still broke again uh you know multiple part-time jobs still can't make in America the death of the American dream <laughs> and then Shannon is meeting with Bernie Rose is played by Albert Brooks which, which is, is great <laughs> yeah this is like his most interesting role he's ever done. Yeah, I, I never thought really... of Albert Brooks as a bad guy until this. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, he could do that, too. Apparently, he was in character for his role when he auditioned for his role and, like, basically grabbed Nicholas winning refing by the throat and pushed him up against the wall. <laughs> nice. <laughs> as, like, his, you know, <laughs> that's his audition. Uh, and also, I didn't realize he shaved his eyebrows to have even less emotions for his character, which I didn't realize he did that. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I guess that would work. <laughs> now i'm gonna have to watch the movie again it's like he doesn't have any eyebrows this is crazy yeah because he said like uh, i guess he thought like his eyebrows were too expression gave off too many expressions and so he just shaved them off so he looks like he has even less expression uh and it's yeah it's you know kind of effective especially when you're trying to completely reorganize what people think about you which is like you're just like the weird jokester guy in movies yeah He's not, I don't know, like he's fine, but I wouldn't say he's like that funny in his movies where he's supposed to be funny. He's just like, you know. He's um, really good in this. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's kind of a good counterpoint to the Ron Perlman, who's like the over the top, I'm obviously a gangster. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know, you can see a flip side from Driver, too, where it's like Bernie is a guy who like needs to be in control of things. And he's holding everything together until he's not, and then he becomes very violent. So there's kind of like a mirror there. But. Yeah. 
but like driver seems to be more reactionary so he seems to have a more moral high ground whereas like bernie is just killing people is like well this is the means to the ends and driver's just killing people because he has to not because he wants to yeah <laughs> well he seems to have a kind of a weird morality about him whereas bernie is just a gangster he's just like i just do whatever i have to do to make money shatter a guy's <laughs> pelvis with a sledgehammer uh you know kill a woman and children you know it doesn't matter well uh, that's usually nino's thing like you know uh Ber bernie like when he has to do that stuff it's like it's like he shouldn't be have to doing that stuff that's nino's job yeah and so he gets angry when he has to do it yeah I, i'm the clean hands guy here this isn't uh... <laughs> you know it's like when there's like a uh you know like a boss who like knows how to do the job but like they can't convey how to do things to the new guys and then they just end up doing everything themselves and yelling at everybody yeah, it's just like, being furious. why can't anybody do my job I'm supposed to be observing. I'm the boss. I worked hard to get to this observational plinth. <laughs> but apparently you didn't work hard enough at communication. <laughs> so like they're he's making a deal with Shannon where like they're gonna buy a used stock car and start a racing team. He says driver's the guy, uh basically implying that like, hey, this he's super talented driver, detail oriented, all that stuff. And nobody knows who he is. Like we put him in the right spot, we're gonna be millionaires. Yeah. And of course we know that's never gonna happen, but yeah, it's a no, nice it's, dream. It's like this isn't I have no indications of happily ever after so far in this movie. <laughs> uh Nino shows up, it's Ron Perlman. They you know, he goes around and says a bunch of, you know, not racist things. Just you know, he's very profanity laden. <laughs> Ron Perlman talking like a street hood. It's like, yeah, you gotta like those motherfuckers, right? You know, but it's delivering dialogue like just an out of control guy. Yeah, he's looking at the NASCAR and he's like, "What's this three hundred thousand dollar piece of shit?" No, well, over here, this is the pussy man. Yeah, and Brian Canson's like, that guy couldn't find pussy in a whorehouse. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's a really vulgar, awful guy. Interestingly, <laughs> playing a Jewish guy who wants to be a gangster. He wants to be an Italian gangster. Italian gangster, which he told the director, he's like, yeah, I'm a Jewish guy from New York. I always wanted to be one of these guys, so I'm basically playing <laughs> my childhood fantasy character here. Which <laughs> is like, oh, okay. Which is an interesting choice because because it ends up being, becoming like sort of, the, sort of the crux of the plot of like, why would he do that? And it's because it's a weird hang-up he's had for his entire life. Yeah. <laughs> he gives a speech about it later. Yeah, uh, which is pretty good. I mean, Ron Perlman's great. Yeah, he's, oh yeah, yeah. It's such a talented actor that was just behind makeup for so long. <laughs> it's like, oh, this guy's really good. I mean, he should have done other things, but you know. I mean, he's had a great like. Oh, like, he's had a good career. Back half of his career. I yeah. mean, he was in Sons of Anarchy for like seven seasons. He's got a bunch of shows. He's in everything. So. I didn't know the guy yeah. that created Sons of Anarchy was also behind Yellowstone. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't know that. I just found that out recently. <laughs> Two shows I've watched like 10 episodes of and just like, yeah, this is good. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just not interested in it. Yeah. I don't know why. I just, yeah, this is great. Well, I found out recently because like, I found out like Yellowstone isn't on Paramount Plus. I'm like, what the hell's up with that? It's like, isn't that a Paramount exclusive show? And then I found out, yes, there's a cable channel called paramount <laughs> and that's where the show is aired 
and they have like three spinoffs, which is on Paramount Plus, but the regular show is just like exclusively to the cable channel, at least for like you know, in its first viewing or something like that. Also, it's like you know, it's like twelve million views on its first on the season premiere, and it's like, and I can, it's like, where is the show airing? Like, I, okay, so now I learned there's a new cable channel, or it's, you know, old UPN or something like that, or <laughs> maybe they grabbed up whatever Spike TV <laughs> was, or I don't know, Spike TV still still exists. I don't watch cable, so I have no. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is like HBO, you can't watch Westworld and a bunch of other shows anymore <laughs> because they're going so broke, they're just burning their back catalog, selling the rights to stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a good sign. Maybe it's like, here we have Ron Perlman, or it's implied that Ron Perlman messed up his leg or we find out shattered his pelvis because of a previous debt. Uh, but it wasn't a debt. I guess it was just he made him mad because he overcharged him or something. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was implied to be some kind of corrupt deal where uh, Nino completely overreacted. Yeah. And, and Shannon still has to interact with him. <laughs> yeah, and he's still like, hey, how's the leg? You know, he's just one of those guys. <laughs> he's like, I paid my debt. You know, it's that Brian Cranston <laughs> low, low-key anger acting. Yeah. Which is like a great get at this time because like this is like they're like three seasons into Breaking Bad and so it's like yeah let's put this guy into movies he's a great actor yeah wow <laughs> he can do comedy he can do the hardest drama on television <laughs> the most depressing show you could watch <laughs> the most character change ever <laughs> I'm a beleaguered chemist teacher and now I'm the now I'm a drug warlord. <laughs> I'm going to kill people in clever ways. <laughs> and tell myself it's about survival. Because i got to put my son through college. <laughs> yeah, I always like the logic. But at the end, he admits, he's like, I just did it because I thought it was, I wanted to prove to everyone I could do it. Yeah. It's like the very last line is like, I don't really care about anyone but myself, and I never did. <laughs> Uh, we have driver driving a stock car. He meets Bernie. This is a great line because like driver's barely saying anything. So he's taking his driving gloves off and he says, my hands are a little dirty. And then, then Bernie looks at him and goes, so are mine. And then he shakes his hand. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a great trailer moment. Cause that just like lets you know right up front. Like, Oh, this guy's a bad person. <laughs> he's admitting it. He's not even hiding it. <laughs> uh, so I have that being the end of act one because like we, now have the the basically have the plot point that like okay they're gonna like strike up a deal to run this new nascar thing and things are gonna get weird around that so so we have to we have irene shows up with a car to be fixed at the at, at the shop uh driver smiles for the first time in the movie first time i remember i was like hey has he ever done that i don't think he's done that before and here we learn about uh shannon's talking to irene and he just tells her straight up of like he hired driver a few years ago uh like just out of the blue because he showed up at the shop for half the wages and he's been exploiting him ever since yeah and he's like Shh, don't tell him and then she's kind of laughing it off and so but he's not being sar- sarcastic that's actually what he's doing yeah he's he's kind of just like i'm gonna tell you the truth but i'm gonna make it seem funny <laughs> not gonna tell you the whole truth and I'm not going to change anything. <laughs> yeah, my behavior is not going to change either. The exploitation <laughs> will continue. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Yeah. 
the driver takes Irene home and the, and the kid, uh, but they take a detour down like the LA River. Yeah. Uh, and here we get the 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 song from College and Electric Youth, a real hero. <laughs> just another fun kind of synthwave song, pop song that's just with extremely like straightforward and weird lyrics. <laughs> yeah, some of those lyrics uh, in that song is like, wow, oh, this is just right on the nose, but it also works for some <laughs> weird reason. A real human being, a real hero. <laughs> it's like what? They end up uh, like around a creek where there's like plant life and stuff. So rather than the usual just concrete river of the LA River, which I don't know if that's where that thing ends or they just cut to a different shot, but I don't know. I don't know. It's been in so many movies. It's like it's, it's it should have its own IMDb page. <laughs> a driver and Irene smile at each other a lot. Yep. <laughs> and they try to figure out where they stand because they know like. Hey, this whole husband thing's kind of weird. Is, is he her husband or not? <laughs> yeah, the looming husband coming out of prison. But then they have a moment where they they I wrote, "Holy sh! They hold hands," and that's like <laughs> that's their big moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's also like a thing that went towards my like this sort of like autism thing is like he doesn't know how to handle kind of uh, like personal affection and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not like he's just going out there having relationships and having sex all the time. Like the biggest thing in this movie is they kiss and that's it. Like that's the sex scene in the movie is a kiss. <laughs> uh we get uh, Nino and Bernie looking over the stop car. Uh Nino is impressed. Bernie tries talking with driver. And then Bernie tells the story of Shannon where he learns that like he shatters pelvis because he overcharged Nino or something. Uh, apparently Bernie used to produce like schlock movies. So he was a producer and now he's just oh, a gangster or something. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, he put the line in there. Yeah. I used to make these movies. They were just, they were garbage, you know, but some people said they were like European, which was kind of funny considering this movie. <laughs> Nino broke Chan's pelvis. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. Uh, then we cut to drivers out with Irene and then here she says that her husband's getting out of jail in a week. And it's just, you know, like a minute of silence and no response. Yeah, because how would he react to that? He's like, I, was this a moral conundrum? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is like, is that his response? Or is he just like trying to come up with a response and he has none? <laughs> that does make it kind of fun. <laughs> like, is he thinking or is he like, nope, nothing, say nothing. <laughs> It's your play uh, now, sweetheart. <laughs> uh, there's a welcome home party for Standard. Yeah. Which is Irene's husband, played by Oscar Isaac. I've totally forgot about that. When I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. I've seen this guy. Oscar uh, Isaac, Annihilation. That's right. That's my go-to <laughs> for him. Yeah. Well, I know Star Wars and all that stuff. He's, you know. I know. I'm just making a, a joke. Dune. <laughs> He's kind of huge now, but yeah, here he's just—he's got a bit part. He's just a working guy. So. I like that they did make fun of his name later. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. a weird name. It's uh, we get "Under Your Spell" by Desire playing, which is another great weird song. <laughs> yeah, all the mean, songs in this movie either evoke feelings of happiness, euphoria, or lust, depending on your state of mind <laughs> at the time you're watching it. Standard apologized to everybody there at his welcome home party. Um, which I doubt most people getting out of prison have welcome home parties. With welcome back. Uh, he apologizes and says he's going to like, you know, 
for all the things that put him in prison and then irene seems politely optimistic about it but you know you know that won't last yeah it wouldn't be a point of having the character in the movie if that was going to be the case but he doesn't seem to want to go back to that life so no so yeah i mean he doesn't like he doesn't rescind he's just like he just put he's put in a bad spot because apparently he got help in prison and he can't and now he owes money for for prison protection which again i would know nothing about or even if that's real or if that's just something that's is it a way to exploit people then it's real because prison's screwed up yeah and now everyone yeah there's no like anonymously going back to amboy illinois after your time in pelican bay like everyone knows who you are all the time now and where you are (laughs) so yeah it's a little tougher driver sees irene in the hallway and then they share a moment till standard comes in and just like makes everything super uncomfortable it's like oh yeah you're the guy that's been like hanging around my wife huh Uh, he's probably he's you know probably a little bit drunk and also a bit antagonistic and probably also knows that like even though nobody knows anything about driver he's still probably better for her <laughs> even though it ends up going all wrong because of him well not because of him but like i guess because of him well know. i mean he, yeah he's just in a reaction mode yeah he's trying to do the right thing because he know he has to deal with you know unsavory people all the time but usually he's kind of at a distance. He's like, I just drive. I don't do anything. I don't set things up, all that stuff like that. So here he has to set things up and then everything goes wrong because that's not his expertise. <laughs> and then driver's like eating dinner where he meets some guy where like he did a job with him. And then, but driver's very short with him. And it's like the first time we see him like have like anger as an emotion because he doesn't, it, it, yeah, he doesn't get a rise, but like he's just calm with everything. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, but here he's like tells the guy to shut up and he's like i'm gonna knock your teeth down your throat and then you know the guy just walks away he's like whoa because <laughs> the guy's like hey man like we didn't know how good you had we had it because like now my brother's dead because we thought we could hire like a-, a cheaper driver who did like did more than just driving it's like no you're right the whole time which again the death of the american dream like yeah. you know your your most valued worker you don't value them and then when they're gone you realize like oh maybe i should have been fair maybe i shouldn't have just pissed this guy off <laughs> exploited him driver pulls into his parking garage and then like he sees some criminal types and then and he the guys are dressed driver. like russian gangsters for some yeah. reason yeah, like orange Adidas tracksuits and carrying like a pipe. <laughs> yeah, it's like subtle guys, subtle. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't a wouldn't a guest. You should have a, Italian gangsters that just like um, just dress up like tradesmen safety wear, like they're at a construction yard, and then carry pipes around, and then you can beat up people, and none of them want to be the wiser. <laughs> well, that was one cool thing about in the movie Tenant. He just puts on an orange vest and like gets into a security area. It's like they don't stop. Orange vest or a safety vest means automatically you ignore that person because he's just some schlub or something. Because I wear one all day and I could pretty much like walk into the cashier's office at work probably. And it's like, are you here to fix the toilet? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. So driver finds standard like all all beat up and bleeding but then he goes over to the kid first because he doesn't care about standard because he knows something's weird here so this is where you can apply something with his childhood where it's like he knows in the situation that the kid needs support and not the deadbeat father that just got beat up by gangsters yeah yeah (laughs) he's not a deadbeat father yeah but you know he's a 
nothing good is going to come from standard. Doesn't so seem to be an time. effective criminal, I would say. <laughs> I mean, like here he learns that like he's trying to get out. Like they say he needs to do a job because they owe him for, for for he owes them from protection in prison. And he told him he wasn't going to do the job, which is why they beat him up. And then driver's solution is like, well, we'll do the job, and that's going to be the last job. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the problem with those guys. That's why you don't. De- that's why they never deal in that world of like, yeah, I'll do this. You pay me five thousand dollars, and we're done. That never happens. Not in even real life. It's like no, yeah. they just once they think they have you, because once you've helped people steal something that's easily traceable, it's like, yeah, you're. F-ed. I mean, they own you. There's, yeah. And there's no incentive for it because they're complete monsters. It's like, well, they don't care about your family <laughs> or your home. Or, yeah, they just want something. Yeah, that's why, I don't know, like in Logic and movies, and like I haven't dealt with it in the real life, but it's like stuff where it's like, well, the only way to get this money is to go to a criminal element who then have a hold on you the whole time because you just committed a crime together and they don't care about going to jail, but they know that you do and they'll hold that over you. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you never deal with those people and I mean, you seldom get that deal where, hey, it's like one and done. If it's something they really want or it's just a nuisance to them, you can get that deal. But that very rarely comes along because <laughs> they, they just they want to know they have guys that they can talk to or whatever. And unless you're um, just, just a complete psychopath or one <laughs> of the guys randomly dies and the rest of them have to guess, like, who shot him in the face with a shotgun? Oh, we don't know. Well, <laughs> let's just let this lie because it wasn't for a big sum of money. Because you'd be surprised how many people died for $3,000. Like, it's not a million dollars. That's where the Hollywood element comes in. It's like, no, there's been roomfuls of people killed over five grand <laughs> in real life, you know. The, the gangster guys want Sam to rob a pawn shop in the valley, but he won't do it. Uh, yeah, again, it's all for protection money from jail. Uh, they threaten his family. One of the gangsters gave Benicio a bullet, and so Driver takes the bullet. We cut to Driver meets Irene at work, and this receives she's a Denny's waitress. Yeah. Uh, he questions her about standards injuries and not sure if she's lying or if she was lied to. He said, like, ah, some drunk kids beat him up. Yeah, you can never tell what Driver believes because he's like, you know, <laughs> the whole, it's like, okay, well, he's processing this, obviously, <laughs> in some way. Yeah, because I'm not sure if that was like some kind of like test. It was like, I want to see if she'll lie. Like, is she a good person or not, or something like that. And at the end of it, it's like, you don't know. You don't know if she's lying. You don't know if that's what she was told or if that's what she believes. That's what she needs to believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can save yourself a lot of trouble by they will always lie. <laughs> uh, it's awkward family dinner time and. They tell what's supposed to be fun stories, but it just like grows the tension. Yeah, but this is where you have the joke where he, he where he they talk about how they first met uh, with uh, Standard and Irene. He said he was like Standard, like I can't remember, I can't remember like Enrico or something like that. And she's like, "Well, where's Deluxe Enrico?" Yeah, <laughs> you also like find out like apparently uh, you know technically like they statutory rape or whatever because he was older than her yeah it always gets gross it's like oh this is (laughs) these are not fun stories these are stories about an underage girl being impregnated his last name's gabriel okay so he says yeah i'm standard gabriel and she's like well where's deluxe gabriel (laughs) um we got to driver steals a mustang for the standard job driver explains himself again to the robbery crew as usual spiel like i just drive you five minutes and i'm yours 
Here he meets Blanche, which is played by Christina Hendricks, which, you know, this is, you know, probably her biggest time around Mad Men, too. So, you know, it's another good get where it's like, let's get somebody popular from a TV show. <laughs> Put him in here. I always, I always feel like she should be in more things, but I feel like she isn't. <laughs> but, I don't know. but yeah, she's a part of the crew, apparently. But and then there's the mob guy there and he's just like angry at everybody. Yeah. Uh, he t- <laughs> he makes this deal. It's like he writes on his hand where it's like, you know, this is what you're getting and this is what everybody else is getting. And it says F- off on his hand. And it's like, does that seem good to you? And then like he does, the driver just doesn't even bat an eye. He's like, okay, but we do this and like we're done. <laughs> he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I got the act. The, the character's name is Chris Cook. Yeah. The actor's name's James Beerbury. Now it makes sense why he's dressed like a Russian gangster because he's like Albanian. <laughs> Albanian American, it says. So it's like, oh, okay. okay. So that's probably because I guess like the director of this film kind of lets people like, yeah, develop your own character and look for yeah. for a lot, of, especially a lot of the side characters. It's like, kind of do your own thing because no one auditions for him. He just feels them out and it's like, oh, okay. So I think this guy kind of went with the Russian mob motif because that's what yeah. you think of Eastern European mobsters. Is like, yeah, they're all going to be wearing tracksuits. <laughs> at least the low-level guys. And top-level guys will be wearing like really nice, cool <laughs> suits that you can get made in Italy and stuff if you're a murderous criminal. You get your $6,000 suit. Uh, they show up at the pawn shop at the, the Mustang and then also a mob Chrysler shows up, the Chrysler yeah. 300. Yeah, Chrysler 300 that must have had a giant engine in it. <laughs> Some of those did have, like, big engines in them. But yeah, this was kind of a weird – I liked the car chase, but it seemed kind of weird to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I've it driven a lot of fast like cars and big cars, and I'll tell you what, there's no way they were going to outturn that Mustang. <laughs> no. They could outrun it if they had a big enough engine or a, tur- yeah. or a supercharger under the hood. They could not outmaneuver it, though. I mean, really, like, really, that that the chasing that happens is almost nothing. There's just like one cool shot, yeah, through the back window. That's really interesting because it's just an interesting framing of a. It's like, well, I haven't seen that in an action scene before. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure there's like 300 of them in, in like a Michael Bay movie, but they were so cut together so quickly you didn't notice any of them. Yeah, yeah. So Blanche and and Stander go into the pawn shop. Blanche walks out with a, a giant duffel bag of money. <laughs> Uh, she hops in the back. I always like that that driver like opens up the doors and the guys are like coming back to the car and because this is a Mustang, he has to like put forward the front Flip seat. The seat up, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then she gets in the back and then he puts it out and they're you know, waiting for Standard to get back. Uh, Standard like gets out of the pawn shop and then he's like almost immediately shot dead. <laughs> yeah, uh, as he's leaving the pawn shop and then the they they take off and then the Chrysler gives chase. You know, it's just kind of like a standard chase scene and then. He makes the Chrysler crash by doing some backwards driving, which, you know, doesn't make sense. But again, the scene doesn't make sense if you just like compare the statistics of the car or whatever. But, you know, but the coolest thing is like when the thing wipes out in the background, they have this shot through the back window with Christina Christina Hendricks, like in fear in like the like the left the left side of the screen it's as you see the car like careening and like hitting something and like lifting up in the air it's like really cool <laughs> yeah because they're moving further away from the action as they go instead of focusing in on it yeah because it's like yeah i knew what happened i've done that and it's before. in slow motion so yeah it's, you know also a little bit more magical because of it. <laughs> and essentially this is the other action scene of the movie and it's about three minutes long <laughs> Again, this is a fifteen million dollar movie. So yeah, that's a good scene. It's just 
Yeah. The gangster should have had like a Camaro or something. Yeah. yeah. Something that could have conceivably maneuvered as well as that car did. But because I know Mustangs, like if you start taking a hard corner and it feels like it's going to flip, just tap the brakes and hit the gas again. It will settle back down. (laughs) Big cars have too much body roll in them. But I don't know if those Chryslers are even frame on body. I think those might be like giant unibody cars, too. Yeah. So it might have had the lightweight to do that. Because I know if you get like the SRT version of it or whatever, it's just like a, it's a death trap. It's so yeah. fast. So. Well, I like the, the Dodge version of that, which is the Dodge Magnum, which yeah. is a wagon version of the Chrysler 300. <laughs> Which now is like almost a collector's item because people have done wild things with those, but like they didn't seem to sell that very well for no. Dodge. So they, they just got rid of it. Uh, do they still make the Chrysler 300? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's very. Um, is it differently designed now? <laughs> yeah, it looks. It's still a big car, but I think. That, yeah, hold on. I think they still make that. I don't know for how much longer they're going to make them because Chrysler was. Um, they're getting rid of all their cars too. So. Oh. Yeah, they still make the Chrysler 300. Ooh, what can you get with it? What kind of engine? <laughs> I mean, Chrysler nowadays just kind of seem like they're a Dodge with a nice interior. <laughs> well, there's a thing about Chryslers. Um, I always, they make cool looking cars. I've always liked the uh, the Dodge Challengers, the retro two-door 70s cars. I've always, I was like, that would be a cool car to have. I would love to have that car. Then you read the quality on them, and then it's like, I'm buying me a standard Fusion because that will last much, much longer with fewer problems. It's a boring car, but it's it's uh, it's not exciting, but it's not uh, – and it's also not going to cost me, I don't know, what, $1,000 a month to insure around here? Who knows? Because I've always liked the, the challenge – not the Hellcats and the crazy ones, just the, the Challengers with, like, the 360 yeah. V8s in them. I always thought I would love to have one of those, but – it's like, yeah, I'm not dealing with all the problems those things have. With, like, the shifter linkage just breaks. It's like, well, you go to put it in gear. And, like, what? Jesus. Of course, I don't know. Ford's had the most recalls this year of any automaker, so they've even beat Tesla. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. I forgot. Were you looking something up? Or I was still looking. Uh, Chrysler 300's going out of production. Oh, okay. Because they just want to make, like, mini van uv things i don't know the company I mean, yeah the, the, whoever well, I, last time i knew the town and country was still like the premier van but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean the transits you can do a lot of crazy things with uh, Ford transits are very versatile uh you can do a lot with them um i don't know if they sell them to people yet like i think you have to be a business still to have them Maybe they sell them to people now. I don't know. Because I know for a long time you had to have a business license to have one. Uh, Because they basically were sold without interior. They just had two seats in the front. Just a metal box on the back. And you could imagine people, yeah, kids, get in there. It's fine. (laughs) It's like then Ford's getting sued because somebody killed their family. Well, it doesn't. It seems like there's like the box van is going away because it seems like the the transit's kind of replacing a lot of that stuff. They don't make the box van anymore. No one makes a full size van anymore. (laughs) Except for yeah, Mercedes. All... I think you can get a Mercedes like oh, yeah, yeah. full size, but it's also going to, you got to have a reason for it. See, the transits are all like four cylinders, six cylinders. Um, they can p- haul a lot of weight, but they're very fuel efficient for what they are. Like those old Econoline vans, those things, some of those got like single digit mileage when you threw all the equipment <laughs> in them and stuff. 
The guys who installed our carpet had one of those with a diesel engine in it. It's like, I didn't even <laughs> know they made Econolines with diesels. And But carpet guys need stuff like that because the carpet weighs a ton. <laughs> Help me bring that bale of carpet in. Oh, okay, I picked it up and almost fell over backwards. I was like, oh, please don't bitch out in front of the carpet guys. <laughs> Just let me carry this in, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Blanche and Driver at a hotel. The score was supposed to be something like forty thousand, but they have like a million dollars. Then we cut to Irene is being questioned by the cops about Standard, you know, because they found his dead body. And then here's probably like the biggest flaw of the movie. They cut to like a, a convenient television report that's very badly done. It's like we just got some, some like twenty one year old at the college to do a television report. <laughs> uh they said they said like oh it's a tragedy someone was killed while robbing the place it's like that's not a tragedy also they say nothing was stolen okay okay now it's tragedy now it's a flawed crime <laughs> uh but not but because they say it's like oh no money was stolen but you know the money is stolen it's like now things are super suspicious because why would someone not want anybody to know that a million dollars is missing it's like oh because it's a criminal thing <laughs> Driver's like putting on his driving gloves and he slaps Blanche and then he starts interrogating her by just pointing very like as aggressively as possible. <laughs> um, where it's basically it's here's like, you know, it's a hard thing to have like your main character hit a woman. And so now he's like kind of restraining himself by just pointing very hard. But it turns and, out she was involved in, you know, yeah. in the setup. But you, yeah. You find out it was like, it was, it was supposed to be a ripoff and less money. So it's like, the idea is like you get standard to rob this place and then Nino was going to rob them. So then he was clean hands because this money ultimately is supposed to be like East coast mob money. Yeah. So it's, if he, if he robbed, if Nino robs it from a second party, he thinks that's going to like put him in the clear, but of course it doesn't, but, you know. <laughs> but that's, you know, mob logic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Blanche goes into the bathroom driver catches like a message on her phone. And then we see, like, Blanche get her head blown off a shotgun. Yeah, it becomes very no country for old men all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically looks like a jello bowl just got exploded on top of her shoulders. <laughs> uh, which is a very Nicholas Winden refing thing. It's like, once you have violence, you just go all out and make it as gross and violent as possible. Yeah, it's, there's no restraint. It's like, let's go Italian horror movie for our violence. <laughs> And then guys start guys start breaking in. Uh, driver punches and stabs a guy with a shower rod. <laughs> yeah, like through the neck or something. Well, first yeah. he's using the mattress as cover. Yeah. Because the guy that shotgun the lady in the bathroom comes fires in at him, but he's got a mattress, so it kind of deflects. Well, he throws the mattress in front of the front door where the guy's like having trouble getting in, so he's able to handle the bathroom guy first. Yeah. Uh, he kills the kills the bathroom guy with a shower rod because it's just conveniently. The metal is like thin enough and sharp enough he can just impale him with it. Uh, gets blood all over himself and then grabs the shotgun and then shoots the guy who's like coming in through the front door and has to has to handle the mattress in the way. Yeah, so now he's just covered in blood. Here he's just like breathing really heavy and they hold on for a long time. It's um, it's more explained in the book. In the book, his internal thought is like he's just waiting to hear like cops or like people scurrying and screaming but like he just doesn't hear it and so he's like well, that's even worse because i'm in a place that doesn't even care if violence happens yeah someone's just firing a shotgun off in this <laughs> hotel room and no one's like i even hear anyone screaming 
<laughs> that would be cacophonously loud. <laughs> oh, yeah, they even have, like, the ringing sound once the gun goes off just to kind of em- emulate, like, the lack of senses and the rush of adrenaline in the scene. Uh, again, most scenes do that, but here I, I draw that, like, I draw that out of it, so I don't know. I don't know if it's just me or if, like, you know, this is the specialty of a director or whatever, <laughs> or just things coming together. It could be the editor. Who knows? That's a cool scene. I mean, and for this movie, it's the first time, like, guns are used. Because yeah. usually in these movies, everyone's just firing randomly in all directions, and it's like, now yeah. the main character doesn't use them because logically they draw a lot of attention <laughs> and we don't want that and but yeah but in this case like oh everyone they're using them now and it's i think it's the only time yeah yeah yeah, yeah i believe so yeah driver calls shannon and he gets like a mob doctor to clean up his shotgun wound on his arm uh which you know i don't, I don't think we see him get hit we just have to assume that that happened. he got hit through the mattress Oh, okay. That's why that. That's the reason that makes sense because otherwise it would have taken his arm off. <laughs> well, I didn't know if it was like a ricochet off a wall or something. No, I think they fired right at him. But okay. Um, the driver wants to know whose money he has so he can give it back to him. <laughs> yeah, this is where the movie it's like logical fallacy. It's like just keep your mouth shut. Everyone's dead. <laughs> I mean, you don't know well, that he, yet, but yeah. Well, again, it's like he's a hardworking guy. He's not going to take money he doesn't think he deserves. <laughs> uh and of course everyone will exploit that it's like oh a guy who doesn't want money we'll take that from him but also who doesn't want money we can't trust him yeah this is this is aberrant behavior (laughs) it's like yeah have you met the main character Uh, let's have that being the end of act two so act three driver shows up at a strip club looking for cook it's one of the coolest scenes in the movie (laughs) Uh, driver goes into the dressing room with a claw hammer and then he just starts he just goes up to cook who's sitting at a table and he just grabs his hand and just starts beating his fingers with the hammer and then he starts crying and, and rolling on the ground in a ball <laughs> and then uh and then he uh puts the bullet in cook's mouth and threatens him with the hammer <laughs> Uh, and then driver gets put on the phone with like one of associate of Nino. There's also just a bunch of strippers naked here. Yeah, there's uh, like ten topless women in this scene. You don't even <laughs> care because you're like, is he gonna drive that bullet into his forehead? Is- <laughs> yeah, that would be some interesting violence. Just yeah, just start driving in the forehead, and at one point it'll just go off while it's in his head, and his head will explode. But yeah, yeah. they didn't do that. But <laughs> I thought they might. Yeah. He gets a hold of Nino, and he he's like basically trying to give the money back to Nino, and Nino's of course is suspicious of that. It's like, yeah, because driver because driver just thinks like I have this guy's money, and then but Nino knows he has the mob money that he was gonna take anyways, and now he's suspicious. Like, why is he just gonna give it to me? So it's like, well, this guy's got this guy's got to get put down. He's got an agenda. <laughs> His ethics are confusing me. Um, and it's East Coast mob money. That makes it extra scary. Yeah. Because for some reason, the violent sociopaths yeah, on the East Coast are worse than the ones on the West Coast. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gandolfini money. Yeah, he's got it. So Nino puts his goons on a mission to find Driver. We cut to Driver shows up at Irene's. He wants to talk to her. And he tells her, like, basically what happened to Standard. He tries giving her the money, and then she just slaps him. <laughs> Cause like he knows like having this money is a bad thing, but he's like, this is enough money. If I give it to you, they don't know who you are. You can run away with it and actually have a good life uh, because nobody knows who you are. But then that gets, 
but then Shannon accidentally makes that a problem. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess they would know who we are because they've set up standard, but and, you know. yeah, they'd find her. She doesn't this have is... criminal skills. <laughs> they get in the elevator and there's a mob guy in there. He, you know, he's like, Oh, like wrong floor. And then he's riding with them. So of course driver's immediately suspicious of that. And then he spots the mob guy's gun. So he knows something's wrong. And then, Driver kind of reaches to the back and pushes Irene to the side, and then he kisses her. And the lighting gets different here, so I'm wondering, it's like, does this kiss actually happen, or is this just his like wishful thinking and dreaming at the moment? Well, it's the last time she's going to see him as kind of the nice guy that helped her. Yeah. Because <laughs> what comes next, she's never going to want anything to do with this guy again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then he fights the mob guy in the elevator, and he stomps him dead. Like He's like caving his head in with a shoe <laughs> uh which is kind of explained in the book where it's here it's like you know why is this guy who's just good at driving and then does and but doesn't even engage in criminal activity other than driving why does he know how to like do hand-to-hand combat and then in the book it's explained that he's like picking up all this stuff from the stunt guys he works with where he's like collecting kind of like like hand-to-hand combat skills while doing like stunt work on movies and stuff like that oh um, okay but here, you know, just you just have him be the badass that you know. Can, hey, give him a scorpion ga- jacket. You know, let him be a badass. <laughs> if you're wearing them hard work boots, <laughs> kicking someone's skull in from the front is a lot easier than you'd think because that's where your eyes are. That's where your nose is. It's just a bunch of open holes. If you're going down with the heel hard enough, it will happen. Um, Irene steps out of the elevator in terror, and then the door closes with him still inside the elevator he's covered in blood too that <laughs> uh, poor scorpion a... jacket gets smoked in this movie <laughs> uh driver meets with shannon but dr- driver and shannon kind of fight a bit because he learns they told bernie about irene uh bernie and nino about irene uh and then he tells shannon that he needs to leave town or they'll kill him too so you know that's gonna happen yeah Bert, then they cut to Bernie and Nino are at uh, Nino's pizza shop and they're arguing about what to do with Driver and then you learn that Nino set up Standard to steal East Coast Mafia mummy, money so he could then steal it from Standard and somehow be in the clear. This is where I learned that like Nino N- Nino's tired of the Mafia not taking him seriously. And, like they're, they, they're openly anti-Semitic to his face. Uh, you know, and he's, he says he's 59 and they've been doing this his whole life and he's never going to get ahead. He, he, they still treat him like they still pinch his cheek and treat him like he's a kid. So this was his last gasp at trying to break free from the mob somehow. Yeah, this makes sense. Steal from violent criminals. They'll respect <laughs> you for it later. So they decide they need to kill driver. Uh, and then Bernie kills cook to like tie up loose ends he just grabs a fork stabs him in the eye and then comes over with a chef knife and just stabs him in the throat yeah uh with like absolutely no feeling like he's just angry he has to kill somebody he doesn't he doesn't feel bad about killing somebody no he just doesn't care at all it's like you clean up my mess now that's what he (laughs) says before he leaves yeah and this guy's like in a pool of blood probably like an eight foot radius (laughs) it's like all the blood (laughs) is drained out of his body you clean it up (laughs) uh driver shows up on a hollywood set with his bloody jacket so you know he doesn't look out of place i guess no he's a stunt man he said i get cut uh here he takes the rubber stunt mask <laughs> um yeah, this is where the movie gets really dreamlike and weird <laughs> but cool at the same time 
Um, Shannon's in the middle of like trying to leave town, but then Bernie's waiting for him. Uh, he's looking for driver. Shannon tries to tell him he's like went to Mexico or something, and then he shakes hand with Bernie, and then Bernie just cuts him with like a, with a straight rager, just like a huge gash, and he's just bleeding blood. And he's like, it's and then and Al Brooks is just like, it's okay, it's over, it's over. <laughs> yeah, just sit down, just lay down. <laughs> this know. is all it's gonna be. This is not gonna be horrible. Just lay down. <laughs> But the whole time seems vaguely annoyed with like, come on, die. <laughs> Got shit to do. We don't see him die, but we know he does. Yeah. <laughs> because we got the next scene is just driver finding Shannon's like in a pool of blood. So, uh, you know, and usually this would be a scene where like, you know, he would have like one more gasp to tell driver something. But of course, no, he's just dead. <laughs> just him staring at him. And kind of an inconvenience because he's laying against a car that has the money in it, ironically. Because <laughs> so he just opens up the trunk and takes the money out that Shannon's leaning against. At least I think so. I think, I think that, that's what happened, great. yeah. And then, and then we have Oh My Love by Katya Ranieri and Riz Ortolani <laughs> starts playing. It's like kind of like a, a operatic kind of song. Yeah, it's kind of incongruous <laughs> with what's going on, which sort of works. Uh, driver grabs the duffel bag of money and then he goes up to Nino's restaurant and he's wearing the rubber mask and he's like standing in like the, the doorway and he spots Nino inside and then he just like waits out in the car for Nino to leave and then he follows after. But that song's playing and he's standing there in this weird mask and <laughs> Nino's in there laughing and talking to this yeah. woman like he's having a good time. It's like, yeah, these people don't care. They, they're they <laughs> having the life you want and they just say, hey, we just murdered a couple people, whatever. Let's, let's party it up. I'm going to try to have sex with this woman. You know. And then, like, when they leave, Driver, like, rams Neil's car off the road. And they just, like, kind of disappears for a while. It's almost like a horror movie for a second. Because, like, the driver gets out the... the Nino's not, driver. Not driver, but the Nino's driver gets out of the car and, like, looking around. He's like, huh, nothing going on. He hops back in the car. And then, like, the Malibu lights turn on. And, like, he just T-bones the car like off a cliff on next to a beach. Yeah. Um, this is LA. So I guess, you know, there's a bunch of places like this. Or oh something. yeah. Pacific um, coast highway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's all along the, the, the beach. And then uh, we see Nino crawls out of the car and towards the ocean. And there's like a strobe from like a lighthouse. Yeah. Nearby, so it's a very cool looking scene. Yeah. Cause you wonder what that is at first. Cause you just see this light. And it's just strobing yeah. around. It's like, that's weird. Yeah, our car's just driving by? What, yeah, is, what this? is this? It's like, no, it's the layout. <laughs> and driver stalks him, stalks Nino into the ocean. He's still really wearing the rubber mask. And we see him kind of just grab him and, like, they kind of cut away. And, you know, presumably he kills him like, by drowning or just, like, choking him to death or both or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Being drowned in brackish seawater. That's fun. <laughs> Looking up at a rubber mask with 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 weird eyes behind <laughs> uncaring eyes behind <laughs> yeah i mean do you think this is just to look weird or is there some an anonymity thing <laughs> like he just wants to be anonymous <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think he wants to be identified um by just anyone who can give a description <laughs> and i also think it's kind of symbolic of his just dehumanized nature it's like i might as well yeah. have a rubber mask on nobody <laughs> i don't relate to anyone i don't understand anyone I want to be loved. I want to have love, but I also want to kick a guy's head into the in an elevator. 
and sit there for 10 minutes and make a guy drown, which is that takes a long time to do that. That doesn't on the movies. They like if you hold someone's head underwater for 30 seconds, they expire. It's like, oh, no, they're going to fight like demons. <laughs> it takes a long time for someone. That's why when they strangle people, it's like that takes like 10 minutes. Because if they pass out after three minutes and you let your hands off their neck, you know what's going to happen? They're going to start breathing again. <laughs> Driver calls Bernie and he mentions the story of the scorpion and the frog, you know, because he's got the scorpion with the back. So. Yeah, him and Donald Trump. Love that story. <laughs> uh, and Bernie it wants carries to... the same warning from both men. <laughs> Bernie wants to meet with Driver and he threatens Irene. So Driver calls Irene to say goodbye to her. Driver meets with Bernie at a Chinese restaurant. Bernie says if he hands over the money, then Irene will be safe, but he won't be. He'll have to, like, run for the rest of his life. But Driver knows that's false as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, he's, he's got to try to kill both of us. So they go to his car to get the money. Bernie stabs Driver, but Driver stabs him back and kills Bernie. <laughs> but you don't see it. No. It's one of those weird scenes where that, but I think he went through his throat with, a like, a, some kind of knife or something. Yeah, because uh, I'm wondering if, like, it would be a straight razor, because, like, I don't think it's ever mentioned in the book, but like, I mean, in the book they mentioned the, the 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 importance of the straight razor being his dad. But here, I don't know what he. You don't see him like having. He doesn't have weapons on him normally, so I don't know what. You know, I don't know if he took something off of Nino or whatever. He just kind of stabs him with something that he kind of vaguely sees. So. It could be a tool from the garage too. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah, like you don't because like they, they kind of cut to like the shadow of like the, of Bernie just kind of struggling as he like just holds the the knife into him or whatever <laughs> and then like ethereal music starts playing and we see a bad wound on driver um and then the music stops and then we have like a tracking shot like tracking up driver's still and bloody body you know his stillness conveys death he's unblinking uh and then a real hero starts playing again he blinks puts the car in drive and takes off and he leaves the money with bernie's body <laughs> yeah this guy's just laying in to a you know just a corpse laying next to a bag full of money <laughs> and when they call the police later they're like we found this dead guy in the parking lot and that's all you're gonna hear about <laughs> um irene knocks on driver's door there's no answer and then we see driver driving around at night and then we cut the credits and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah it's left ambiguous as to whether he dies or not yeah but he I better mean, like, get that wound treated because he's gonna go septic pretty quick yeah yeah, because I think like logic tells you like, oh, this guy's dead. But I love that he gets to just drive off at least, because it's like, well, this is the one thing I'm good at, so this is the one last thing I'm gonna do. But yeah, there's still also room for him to, you know, survive and stuff like that. But you know, this isn't a movie that has a sequel, so you know, it's fine. Whatever you want to. Driver do. Two: The Staring. <laughs> now, dri now driver two is just you know blade runner 2049 because it has almost the exact same ending yeah pretty much <laughs> is he dead nope in the movie <laughs> unsure but this, yeah this is a movie I, like ryan gosling picked this director oh yeah well because yeah the guys who produced the movie bought the rights to the book and yeah. then they were shopping around for a cast and they were like well this think we like this gosling guy what would it take to get him on board and he's like yeah you because know, they're not obviously paying him scale or they're just paying him scale or maybe a little more but i don't know yeah. but it's like oh yeah i get to pick the director who do you want this guy from denmark who makes <laughs> uh you know cr crime movies about you know drugs drug sellers or drug trades people or whatever they are in denmark 
Well, yeah, there's. I, I stopped reading the trivia. There's tons of trivia for this movie, at least on Internet Movie Database, and I found most of them kind of be unuseful. But there's a bunch of trivia about like what Nicholas winning Reffin isn't. He's like, he's not a car guy. You know, he doesn't care about like all this, all this stuff. And it's like, why did you do this movie? And it's like, I don't know. That's why this movie's great because he wasn't meant to make it, and he did. Well, it wasn't really a great car movie either. No, because no. it was either standard sedans. It was Ryan Gosling's like a driver's Malibu, which was lovingly restored and probably had a powerful engine in it, but was not like as popular as a Chevelle or a Nova or something like, or it wasn't because they had like a 1950s Corvette in one of the scenes. And cause that's the one that the Nico called the pussy machine or whatever. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, those are cool cars, but none of the people in the movie drive cool cars. They drive what they can find and what they have and, <laughs> Which might have been either budgetary too, because classic cars now are horribly expensive. Oh yeah. yeah. Because car culture essentially died in like the nineties. <laughs> uh, as far as Wait, like, so again, along with the American Dream, it's like you have stuff like because there was this, you know, because it used to be like your midlife crisis is you buy a sports car. Yeah. You, know, you buy your Corvette, and like I know it's kind of, well, not really happened with you. Not like this was your midlife crisis, but like you couldn't afford a Corvette. Well, you could buy a motorcycle yeah i could buy the nicest harley davidson that could yeah so there was kind of like that was the new thing is like well can't afford a sports car but you know a nice motorcycle and now now like millennials they can't even afford that it's just like i guess i'm gonna buy my childhood and now you got buy people now they're like reprinting like old teenage mutant ninja turtle toys because like <laughs> we're bought rebuying our childhood because that's something we can afford yeah <laughs> Or people want to be connoisseurs of like VHS tapes, and that's yeah. a whole stupid thing that's coming back. It's like it's the worst form of media. DVD was a thousand times better, but it's just yeah, about it's, it's about memories more than it is anything else. Yeah, I don't think it's coming back. I think it's a whole scam. I know the Red Letter Media guys just did a whole thing about it. Oh, the hell, oh, they're talking about it already. I didn't know about that. I just heard somebody people were buying like perfect copies of of old vhs tapes so. yeah there was like uh there well i'm not sure if anybody bought it It was that someone selling a cop like a pristine copy of back to the future for seventy five thousand dollars. yeah because they didn't make a lot of those but like in, in the red letter media video they point out it's like well here's this auction site that's showing like bids in like for vhs is like going from like a hundred dollars to like a hundred grand or whatever and of course, go to eBay, look for those same auctions. It's like no bids because nobody wants this, shit, so it's all a scam. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought this was a thing like, um, because I know records came back for a while, but there's yeah. actually technical reasons why records sound yeah. better. If you have, if you can buy a, um, a, a Macintosh, not a computer, the people that make the tube driven amps for turntables, if you yeah. have $8,000 to afford that, <laughs> then records sound amazing. Uh, I know a guy that has one. They do sound good. I'm not spending that kind of money on a record player. Well, I know there's some reason because there's stuff for like people uh, like with sort of like uh, retro game stuff now because it's um, even though like CRT TVs are like absolutely obsolete and nobody likes them anymore because they're heavy, cumbersome, and like don't necessarily have the picture quality. But when it comes to video games, CRT TVs don't have any lag to them. Cause oh. They, Whereas like LED TVs do, uh, so there is like still and and that's how games were, game retro games were, originally put on. So 
whole game just looked better on CRT television. There was, there was like a little moment there where like people were kind of like buying a bunch of retro 80 stuff and making like a little like turning the den into an 80s room where you have like your your CRT TV and your like Nintendo and stuff hooked up to it. And so like an additional thing that I got, like I was trying to bank on is like, well, if people are building these rooms, maybe they'll want some VHSs because I try to put all my VHS up for sale and nobody bought that whatsoever. I even got like, oh, I may have thrown away. I can't remember because I don't even have VCRs to play more. But like, I got like the, um, it was like that re-release of the Star Wars trilogy before they did the effects on it. Okay. Uh, which you can't even see that stuff anymore. Yeah, that's like, that's gone. You can't find that anymore. <laughs> so there is like value to that, but like nobody bought that shit. So. <laughs> oh, I thought this was just a continuation of the uh, uh, NES cartridge records. craze and the records. Yeah. It's like, oh no, yeah. VHSs are better. No, the VHS is a scam, but the yeah the. NES and Atari. Well, I'm not really sure about Atari, but yeah, NES stuff like that has a lot of value to it. Um, there, like, there's a little, there is a bunch of value to the retro game, and it's weird too because like all that stuff is like available for emulator. Like, you can get all that stuff for free if you want, but like people want the authentic original experience. So. Yeah. Um, again, for the um, the emulation quality of it's, you know, why, why emulate when you can get the real thing? So. Anyways, Drive. <laughs> yeah. Any final thoughts on Drive, Nathan? Oh, it's, it's a great movie. I mean, I like. I, it's one of those things like we were talking at the beginning of the show. I don't know why I only watched this once, but it's it's kind of a contained experience. I mean, it's definitely. I wish they made more movies like this. Yeah, uh, I like I mean, stuff I think like something this. comparable. I mean, like Nightcrawler is kind of comparable. Like it's a, definitely an LA thing, but it's like that's a it's an intentionally despicable character that's kind yeah. of interesting to watch no, i like nightcrawler i mainly like nightcrawler for jake gyllenhaal's performance i don't really yeah. care for the story but it's <laughs> like oh i've known guys like this like i recognize this character type of just people well, it's also kind of the opposite because like also the guy nightcrawler is a hard-working guy um but he just does but has absolutely no morals whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, he'll do anything. I mean, <laughs> beginning of the movie, he was like stripping copper out of people's houses or places and selling it. It's like, yeah, I'm working hard at this. And then the other thing, the other movie I'd say comparable is like, uh, You Were Never Really There, which is another movie where you have to fill in the blanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the one with um, uh, Fe Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yeah. 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 Where he's like he's like a secret assassin, and then the movie ends with like two senators dead, and like, and I was like, "Huh, that's weird." <laughs> it's like, what the whole country be on lockdown of two senators just died? Didn't see that coming. Also, that they're involved with like you know some child sex ring thing that's going on. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, yeah, there's a lot of shows like that that like, yeah, that's not gonna get made again. <laughs> too many people d going deep into the internet like oh this is all real it's like no it's it was made up for a story it's not they call that the uh, carcosa effect that's why you'll never see a show like the first season of true detective again because there's so many people that got wrapped in, up into this stuff that will say yeah that show launched me into this <laughs> and it's like if that was totally fiction you get that right this wasn't some secret message that matthew mcconaughey was trying to send to you personally 
Yeah, that's, uh, Drive is one of my favorite movies of all time. and I got to watch it twice, and it's pretty much as good as I remember. And I got to have fun making up my own stuff with it. And great soundtrack. Uh, it's a pretty, very short movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like 90 minutes or something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, really, I don't know. Like, what do you, what's your grasp on the cultural significance of this movie? Because it didn't. Like it made some money, but it wasn't like it was a, didn't make like a hundred million at the box office. Maybe worldwide it did, but but like it did have like a lot of cultural cachet. It became a lot of reference and stuff like that, especially with like the scorpion jacket and stuff like that. But like I really don't know how big this movie was, even though it's like important to me. I don't know what other people think about it really. Well, you got to remember this movie. Like it, it toured, it toured a bunch of uh, like cans and things like that. It was it was shown in a lot of movie. Uh, uh, what do they call those where they have festivals? festivals? Yeah, it was shown at a lot of film festivals. It was shopped around a lot. Um, and a lot of people liked it, got film critics liked it. Uh, I think when they ran trailers together for it, they made it a, seem like an actioner. So a yeah. lot of people were angry about that. You said somebody filed a lawsuit because it wasn't exciting yeah. enough. Um, yeah, they're expecting Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's. So I think like I don't know, and this but this one came like this was like the fallout from the 2008 economic collapse was going on at this time. The time this movie was made, it would have been like a year and a half old. So I don't know if this was uh, this had anything to do with that. Back to your thesis about the death of the American dream. <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, I mean, a lot. Of, most of the people. I looked at did, did a lot of research on this, and like all, all the reviewers said things that made sense. It's like, yeah, this is why this is a good movie, and um, so I didn't. Uh, but I think, yeah, it didn't. It had a disconnect with the action-oriented American movie audience, and with people who like, oh, this is the guy from the Notebook. That movie made me feel good. I'm gonna watch <laughs> this movie, and it's like, yeah, it's not the same character. It's. Uh, um, but also, it's, it's also in a weird place because it's not like it won a bunch of awards or anything. Like no, that. it was too violent. <laughs> Movies this violent will never win a lot of awards, especially this explicitly violent. Yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah, it's not nonstop violent. It's like, it's like three scenes of violence. Yeah, but it's like No Country for Old Men. Like, you remember all the violence in those <laughs> yeah, movies? Yeah, but they for a won. Reason. They won the Oscar for Best Picture, Nathan. Yeah, they did, but they were also they'd been kicking around a while too. Everyone knew who the Cullen Brothers also, were going in. Also, like. Yeah, that was done. That was produced by a major company. Where it's like the fun thing about like watching the opening for this is seeing all these credits of all these production companies that you've never heard of. Yeah, nutball productions. And, <laughs> and also, a thing with No Country for Old Men, it was written. Uh, it was based on a book with a lot of cultural cachet too. So it kind of <laughs> yeah, got this a. Was ba- this is based on a book that nobody knew about. No, nope. someone bought the rights to it for three thousand dollars. I mean, I don't know what they paid, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a different like oh, no country for old men. Yeah, it's incredibly violent too, but it also has this huge pedigree before it was even put to film of being like Cormac McCarthy is like seen as the most important one of the most important American authors of the 20th century. So it's like, yeah, anything that that and then the Cohen brothers who are doing it and they love violence and weird comedy. They're good at both. So, yeah, that's that's why it got a pass, but this movie it would you know, I don't know what it was in contention against, but it's not a feel-good movie, and it's not a movie that had a lot of cultural weight to it. I'll have to look at the 2012 Oscars because it's been 11. And let's see who won Best Picture that year. I'm not even sure if 
if it was nominated for anything. <laughs> you know, I didn't look that up. <laughs> I think it won stuff in Europe. Hugo won a bunch of awards that year. <laughs> okay, so feel good. Uh, best picture of the artist. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I remember that, but I can't remember what it's about. How this one back to picture, and I have no idea what it is. Look it up, you'll know it because it sounds very familiar. <laughs> I like it has a seven point nine on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's <laughs> it's best picture of the year. <laughs> An ego maniacal film star develops a relationship with a young dancer against the backdrop of Hollywood's silent era. Okay, that's probably why I won because Hollywood likes to be up on its own ass. Yeah, it's a movie about Hollywood. Here's your Oscar. I've tried watching some of the Oscar things or the best picture things that are. I tried to watch that Banshees of of whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it was just Colin too. Farrell. It was too depressing. It's like, oh yeah, I've <laughs> I've been too dumb to be everyone's friend. I know what this feels like. <laughs> I don't want to relive this. Did you was was Drive nominated for anything? <laughs> I haven't checked. I don't. I don't remember in my research that it was. Well, let's go to Wikipedia. They'll usually just have a whole like box section of like nominations our hero would probably be like you know one like the saturn award for best drama or something like that best sound editing nominated academy award which i can see that ba- it got some bafta nominations bafta won best director at cons critics choice they loved it in dublin it won all their awards at their film festival let's look at what are the other films of t- oh red state <laughs> Oh, that that was that long ago. <laughs> uh, I almost thought, oh, Kevin Smith's back into filmmaking. <laughs> nope. Uh, it's popular. Let's see here. We got the Thing remake, Apollo eighteen. Wasn't that a horror movie or something? Yeah. There's something on the moon. Let's it's see. Your, your big grocers were Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part Two, Mission Impossible Gross. Ghost Protocol, Ghost Protocol, the Twilight, one of the Twilight movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Transformers: Dark of the Moon. Those were your Fast big, Five was really good. Those that's were big hitters. Movie. Yeah, that's number seven. This is a bad year of movies. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I think only I, one of those I've watched. Drive prob- should have ran away with this. <laughs> probably Ghost Protocol because I always watch the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, that's a fun. I think that one was done by Brad Bird, so it was fun, at least. Yeah, can't. I, I, I can't believe how many of those they've made. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a, a film franchise that should have almost as many films as like the, the James Bond franchise. <laughs> yeah, this is a bad year for movies, huh? That that feels weird. Oh, I guess there's Moneyball. There we go. That's a good movie. Well, it's one of my favorite films of all time, so I got to see it again. I liked it. It's, it's a cool a, movie. Everyone should watch it. Yeah, it's a bringer movie, so you kind of got to bring your own to it because there's not a lot of dialogue. <laughs> so, yeah, I never try to get that jacket because especially for my size, it would never look good on me. But I know a ton of people that like try to like, yeah, I'm I'm Ryan Gosling from Drive. <laughs> That's got to be on sale on like Amazon, right? <laughs> What's that going for? Oh, I don't know. There's a movie props forum you can go to where people make copies of those. Was that even like a famous jacket, or they just like grab that off of like some out of like some like Salvation Army or something? That was made for the movie, I guess. 
Oh. I remember I looked at buying it for you at one time. <laughs> Not the actual one, but a reproduction. But yeah, I figured, well, I don't know if you'd want to. After my experience with my, you know, I made that. I worked for months to make that jacket from the Nostromo, and it's like, oh, this just leads to conversations with weirdos in public. I don't, I don't want to wear this yeah. out in public anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, around the time this came out, like, I probably lost a lot of weight, so it probably would have looked cooler on me then. Now it would not. <laughs> Anyways, if you like what you heard and how can it you, you can find us at veroeneffect.com or you can go to anchor.fm slash effect and rate our podcast on whatever platform of your choice. Remember, you can remember the only thing you listen to is the highest rating. So remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. We have listener support at veroeneffect.com where you can support this at a monthly stipend of either 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99. Uh, and if you support it, we'll just do more faster because that always brings quality. Um, you can find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect. You can find us at Facebook, Verhoeven Effect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. You can watch both this show and that show live and unedited. And you can find our t-shirts at blowthecollar.com slash greedfactory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. <laughs>